What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 17 of the High Bar Podcast. On today's episode, I'm here with my fellow coach on Nori Powerlifting, as well as one of my favorite athletes to work with when he's <laughs> actually getting enough sleep, uh, Aiden Raider. Aiden, thank you for uh, for coming on the uh, podcast today, sir. Hello, sir. Thank you for uh, having me on. You guys can't see it, but Aiden actually has one of the most handsome haircuts I've ever seen. <laughs> He's looking. He's looking very clean cut. Getting ready to go for the week. Um, oh, yes. How are you doing today, Aiden? I'm doing nice. I'm doing well. Um, yeah. Usually I go to like this this local place. It's like a seven dollar haircut. But I went I went to a real fancy like spa um, place, and the, one of the owners actually deadlifts like mid eights. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, is okay. I know exactly who you're talking. Is he dating uh, Jessica White? Yeah. I forget his name, but I've seen her her post about him because I used to work with Jess for a few years, um, and had stopped working with her like a little over a year ago. That dude's pretty strong. Yeah, he, he is, and and they give some very uh, very handsome looking haircuts. You know, <laughs> is, he, is he was he your barber or he's just the owner? He he's a, a co owner, I think, and okay. uh, so I got a cut from one of their barbers. Um, it was very nice uh, barber house in Naperville, Illinois. Um, drove like an like. 45 minutes and paid $50 for a haircut, but it was, you know, well worth it. A little bit over my uh, $7 budget. <laughs> you go into like the set. So it's funny. Cause I remember when I was a kid, you know, my parents used to take us to this like super old, like it was just all old Italian dudes who had moved here at some point. Like, <laughs> you know, they all spoke Italian in the shop, like super cheap haircuts. Most of the time they were horrendous haircuts. Like I just think back to, coming home and having to like pull my ears back because it's like so much hair you're just like it's just one of those cuts where you're like look in the mirror and he's like like he's halfway done with it and you're like holding back tears <laughs> dude there were so many haircuts that i would go in with an idea like kind of modify it like while i'm sitting in the chair and then just immediately regret it by the end of it yeah um, i've yeah, been dude. there too much you know that like I was there with, like with my last cut, so I was like, okay, I gotta go somewhere like actually nice, maybe do my research, like find some good images of like what I want. What uh, <laughs> what was your barber like at your seven dollar haircut place? I assume they'll they'll never hear this, you know? Because no, I don't think they'll ever hear this. Uh, it's like a, it's like a it's like an Armenian place. Like none of them like speak like very very good English, and um, so yeah, but. It, they usually they actually gave me like very good haircuts, um, but I I think um, I don't know I, maybe I maybe it was my fault maybe I just didn't like communicate what I what I wanted to them very you effectively. Speak, you didn't speak in Armenian, so you yeah, could... I didn't speak Armenian, so they're like, okay, you just you're, you're just gonna get a haircut. <laughs> does Armenia does Armenia do Armenians speak primarily in Armenian? Is that even a language? I'm clueless. Is Armenian? I don't Armenian? know. Or do they predominantly speak something else? I have no idea. But at any rate, you look handsome. Thank you for coming on here. One of the things that we were talking... Actually, you know what? It's really funny. I'm going to mention one more thing about a haircut. So having played baseball for as many years as I did, you know, you grow up with this group of kids and people always get, you know, trolled. And there's inevitably like one or a couple kids who are like the kind of the black sheep and, and, you know, they're just the, the butt of every joke. And this one kid on our team, his name, yeah. was, his kid, his name was EJ Fred and everyone just picked on him. Like he, he, he was a good sport about it, which is why I think people continue to do it. 
but there was a game where some bet was made between our coach and him where if the coach won the bet, the kid had to get a reverse mohawk for a tournament. <laughs> so so he literally, what's crazy, he didn't do it himself. He went into a barber and asked them to just shave down the middle of his head. Just his eyes. And it was like that perfect length, you know, like when you have your hair at that length where it's not yet draping down, but it's not super short. So it's just really bushy and it's out. So he just had, he just had just straight down the middle, shaved down to a zero and the sides looking like a Chia pet. That's funny. Yeah, it was amazing. We we did some terrible things in uh, in in baseball to some of our teammates, but uh, they were they were good sports about it. All right. At any rate, um, one of the things that we were talking about before we did this intro was, you know, you being in nursing school and I know that you've introduced this topic before and you've you know, you've discussed it probably both on social media as well as our podcast. So I don't want to, you know, go back and do any unnecessary backstory. But I guess the question that I have, because we were talking about, you know, what your workflow looks like right now, and you mentioned a lot of what you're doing is just like very practical lab stuff. And you're past the point of, um, you know, taking any sort of pure sciencey type classes, everything is geared toward actually practicing your your profession. Given that you're at the point now where like, you know, powerlifting coaching is your, is your passion. It's, it's what you're trying to make a full-time thing. And, you know, I'm happy that that's the case. I remember when, you know, I was interviewing you to become a coach. This was something we discussed. You're like, I'm in nursing school, but this is something I want to do. You know, is there, aside from like getting through the, the program right now, like, is there any, are there any classes that you're taking where you're just like, man, like this is, this is something that I could still see myself doing, or this like entices you or at least intrigues you enough to feel like maybe at some point down the road, I'd consider, you know, going back down this route. Mm, so the first thing that comes to mind would just be the clinicals. I think it's just like very enjo- enjoyable to actually like see my, my knowledge be applied to real practice and actually be able to like help real pre- people um, in like uh, in a setting that has like heavy implications for these people. Right now, I work on a, a med surge unit at um, a hospital, and we're just taking care of mostly uh, med surge. Is kind of like um, when you've had a um, when you've had something happen. Let's say you came from the ER, and then now you're you're now stable. So um, we're just kind of like maintaining these these patients until they're ready to be discharged and sent back to their normal lives. Um, you know, however, these patients can have like, you know, just have problems occur due to whatever they're there for. And uh, we're, you know, the nurses primarily and doctors <clears throat> are there to uh, take care of any issues that arise. And then when they are deemed ready, they get sent home. But, um, you know, as a nursing student, we're kind of just giving them medications and like helping them go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Um, but it still feels good because it's stuff that needs to be done. So I'd say that's like very rewarding. And I do like leave the end of the day, despite it being like a 10 hour day. Like, um, you know, I, I feel like, I don't know, just like happy for the opportunity that I got to do that. Um, and then I don't know, like just learning about like all like the disease processes and like how to like, how it's, you know, how they're all, um, you know, all the interventions that you need to do in order, you know, I find that interesting. Um, I, I just like learning about that, but, um, so I, I guess that would be my answer. Although I don't think that like, <laughs> just, despite that being interesting to me, I don't think that like 
supersedes my desire to want to coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Did you find it hard? Um, and you're past the hump now, but did you find it difficult in the early stages of finding powerlifting and specifically coaching to, I guess, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? I guess be willing to like take the take the leap and and decide to do this as or you know at least have the mental commitment give yourself the mental commitment to pursue this because um, I know for myself like going down this route was a a very difficult thing for me to accept as like a a viable path and I almost tried to convince myself that there was an alternative that would lead me not to so did you like have a lot of internal struggle trying to figure that out or were you just like no, like this is what I want to do. So it makes sense to do this. No, I, I, it was definitely challenging, but there was no like internal struggle just to like set the basis. I started coaching in high school. Um, and then like I did like a year of my first year of college, didn't coach anyone during that time. And then like around my, at the end of my first year of college is, is then when I started like coaching people again after, I don't know, I, I did like a meet, um, I just decided, like, hey, like, I'm going to start coaching. And um, at the time, it was just, like, you know, I, I just want to try this out with a few friends, see if I, if I, if it's something that's, like, manageable with, like, school, because I was a bio major. Then I wasn't nursing yet. Um, and I enjoyed doing it, so I just kept on doing it. And um, then during, like, quarantine, I, I guess this is the, where, where the part where it got challenging and the part where... Um, it tested my like conviction to continue doing it is when I was like, like during quarantine, I was like doing, I was training, I was doing school and I was working like 40 hours a week on top of that as well. And then like every like waking second of free time that wasn't working school or like shoving food down my throat (laughs) or, you know, just, just all the other responsibilities I had, it was too, it was like, could like researching as much as I could about gather like about coaching was listening to a, a podcast, reading a book, watching a like one of like Mike T's lectures that he has on his YouTube channel or like anything like that. So and or just you know just just programming. So because I, I was working, I was like working like forty hours a week at uh, like just like a grocery store, but I was also coaching on top of that um, to like 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 a handful, like maybe like five athletes. So I, that's where my conviction was like really tested where it was like, man, like this is already, I'm already doing a, a shit ton. Like, is this going to be something that's going to even like lead to anything mm-hmm. or, you know, and if it, if it does, am I just going to have to like, if I, if I, if I have like 10 athletes at the end of college, you know, am I, am I going to like, just like say so, like, sorry, I would sm- like, I got to proceed to my career now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, go ahead. Keep going. So I'd say that's the biggest struggle I had, but um, I, I quickly found out that I really love doing it. And I'd had, you know, I've already invested so much in powerlifting, so I'm not going to stop doing it now. You know, I'm going to try and find a way that it, for it to work. And you know, I know I find it rewarding, you know, when my clients get progress when they're. No, I just enjoy, I just enjoy coaching as simple as. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great, dude. And one thing that I've noticed is like your parents seem incredibly supportive of it. Like I follow, I follow your mom on Instagram. I think, yeah. your dad, I think your dad follows me on Instagram and I've seen him comment on, 
either stuff I've posted or stuff I've posted of you, but it's really nice to see that like they, you know, like publicly like praise you and support you like that. So they've been, I assume they've been pretty supportive through this entire process. Yeah. I mean, my, like my parents like go to my, my meets when they can. And, you know, they're, you know, my, my dad is like, he listens to like two white lights. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, yeah, uh, that's just to like show you like, I don't know, they're, my, my dad's like invested in it and my mom's like supportive of it. And, you know, um, there was a genuine, like, um, there was a period of time where like it, my, I I was, uh, reaching some success with like my coaching and I was like, considering like, Hmm, do I, do I like, could I just full send coaching and, you know, forego nursing school right now. Um, and then like my, like my mom, uh, is the reason why I'm still doing nursing school and I'm not just like a full-time coach right now. Um, you know, cause people are us like, Hey, like you have this like position with on, on team Nori, like, why are you even doing nursing school? Like, uh, you know, you seem to be like a, a successful coach now. And like my mom got my grandparents on the phone and they like sat me down and had like an hour long lecture where they were like, you know, where it was like motivation. They were like motivating me to continue and just like finish out my education while I'm young and still have the chance. But they were also like v- making it very clear, like, do not let your ancestors down. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that kind of like, it was a very, it was a very powerful talk where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going to charge to it. I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. So I just have this available to me. I have this, you know, you know, just this degree. Yeah. I've already made it this far. Might as well finish it out. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for both of those things. Like I have a lot of respect for, for finishing things. Um, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays, there's a couple things. They're either like, you know, like hyper independent, um, and they are willing to like cut things off that like, quote unquote, no longer serve them or whatever. And like, sure, like, you know, logically, could you continue through your life without having a nursing degree? Like, probably, right? Like, I think yeah. that, you know, parents, parents will always look at some of these more newer, unconventional jobs as, as, um, you know, nerve wracking or, or unsecure because they're just, they're new, they're unfamiliar. But in all reality, like, you and I are always going to have work, maybe even in circumstances where more traditional jobs, um, you know, put people out of work. Like I have so many friends of mine who have gone the traditional route and then they get laid off and then it's like, well, you know, where, where am I now? Right. Whereas I think for, for guys like us, we're always going to have a client base. We're always going to have a steady stream of income. Um, you know, but at the same time, like your parents are right. Like if you've, you know, if you've made it through, um, you know, under and your grandparents, you know, if you've made it through, undergrad or you've already started and maybe you're in a position where you're fortunate enough that you know parents are are financially helping it's like you've been given an opportunity that they're willing to give you you know to to fulfill this and it it will be harder you know to do later in life should you choose to right like i think that there i think something to look toward is like where are a lot of you know high level powerlifting coaches who have been in the game for over a decade like a lot of them decide to move on to something else and it's not like they've been you know, outcompeted or, or pushed out of the field. It's just that 
you know, your priorities and your commitments change. Like when you're in your thirties or, you know, forties and you have a wife and kids, like, can you be on the phone all the time? Like texting clients, probably not. And people decide to move on other jobs. You know, I know people who have open gyms. I know people who have gone the real estate route. I know people who have gone back to school entirely. And it's, it's difficult when it's, you know, on the financial side of things, it's a financial burden. And then it's also difficult, you know, maybe something people don't think about. It's like, it's very hard to turn back on that school brain, you know, oh, yeah. you've been out of it for a while. Like I've, I've thought about that before where I'm just like, you know, you make the segue from high school to college and you have to turn things up a bit, but you're still used to being in school for no, you know, having a break no longer than a summer vacation and having to turn that back on and get into a routine of studying for multiple things at the same time, you know, having to retain information for long bouts of listening. It's, it's not like our normal day to day. Um, so that's another concern a lot of people would have. And then, like I said, the second thing I really respect is, you know, what your, what your grandparents told you. I'm sure that like hit you very hard. Like, don't let your, your ancestors down. And like, in one hand, it's like kind of harsh, right? In that, you know, people don't want to be made to feel like, oh, you know, I need to like live my life for other people and I should be living it for myself. It's like, well, that's true. At the same time, it's like you've had this, all of us have had some sort of lineage where the traditional goal that people have is to, you know, create a better life for all that are going to follow them, right? So like all the work of your parents was created by, you know, was, was um, you know, affordable because of the work of your grandparents, because of the work of your great parents, so on and so forth, right? So it's like, they broke their backs, they did everything that they could to give you this opportunity. And I think that whether you use it or not, they have willingly sacrificed in order to to give you that opportunity. So it's, it's not something that I would want to squander. And I think, you know, a lot of people nowadays probably don't think that way, like they're happy to just say, you know, well, this is what I want to do. So this is what I'm going to do. And I think you've been, you've been able to manage both perfectly fine, you know? Yeah. I, I have zero regrets and I definitely, you know, at, at the moment I, I was like, you know, it would be great to just like kind of, take the easy route and just go like, you know, forego this the schooling process and just get right on with my life. But I, I think it, you know, they made it very clear what all the benefits were to, you know, con- like continuing my education. And they also like, like, Oh yeah, your grandparents that came from Italy, you know, <laughs> like he was a 14 year old boy who didn't know any English and he like somehow got from New York to Chicago. And then they're like, yeah, then I worked as a, construction worker for 50 years and i was like okay you know what maybe i owe you this one yeah no i mean people are our gen well i guess i say our generation i think you're a little bit younger than me but like more recent generations i think have been afforded so many you know liberties at least more than in the past where you know you're you're even able to think about okay what's best for me right like the concern for a lot of people, you know, of your, of our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation was like, I have to sacrifice in order to provide for a family that's in front of me or the family to come. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, that's great. That's great that you put the stock in that. Cause that's definitely something that like, you know, I, you know, I was, I was more than happy to continue through with the, the schooling, like going, you know, going through undergrad, 
Um, but then after graduating, it was very much like, uh, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? Because I feel like, you know, I fulfilled the obligation that, that you're speaking of, but now it feels like there needs to be something taken to term. But I, I didn't think that even, you know, on the, on the financial side of things, I'd be able to, you know, be as successful going another route because I just didn't have as much conviction in any other route. So yeah, man, that's, that's really cool, dude. That's really, really cool. Um, so one of the things, one of the main things I wanted to have you on for today, and I'm sure something a lot of people want to hear about since we're talking about like, you know, being of college age and, and, and trying to, to find what it is that you love to do in this time where you're, you're wrestling, you know, what is expected of you and what you kind of hope for yourself. I wanted to talk to you about being, you know, a, a, someone who was like a young emerging lifter. Cause I think both of us kind of fit that, um, you know, fit into that categorization and you now, especially work with all lifters who kind of fit in this category of being like, you know, teenagers or, or young adults who have all these aspirations in the sport. And you and I have seen firsthand, you know, people, blow up and they, you know, they come into the sport and they want to do all these things. And then they, they either, you know, fizzle out or they get, you know, they, they're, they're kind of like flippant in their priorities and they don't last in the sport. Um, you know, what were, I guess the, the topics that we'll discuss here, are like, you know, if we could rewind, you know, five years, where would you have expected to be by now? Or I guess maybe four years, um, in this sport, and then just like, how have you, you know, how have you managed to, to push past the point of being like the, the teen lifter? Like what, what wisdom could you impart there? Because I think, you know, like we coach, you coach guys like Sam, you know, Friedrich, Fried, is it Friedrich or Friedrich? I've never pronounced it correctly. But I'm pretty sure it's Friedrich. Friedrich, right. I love you, Sam. You're, you might be listening to this. You might not. Sam is one of Aiden's lifters. Kid is uh I, I, I was actually, I'm actually in a Bible study with Sam and we were talking about this yesterday, he, how he has never once made a good training decision in his life, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about like what your, how your, how your mindset has shifted from being like, you know, 17, 18 years old competing in powerlifting and how you viewed your training and your future versus how you do now. <laughs> Um, first off, hopefully Sam is going to start making some of their training decisions. We're he told me he would. He told me he would. Yesterday, I asked him if he would start being better, and he said yes. So I'm, I'm hoping he stays true to his word. Changing up his programming a bit just to make sure that he's a little bit more conservative. You got to use the, the training tool that I suggested, which is just whatever RPE you want the overshooters to hit, you just down downrate it like a point and a half. That may be a strategy that's being used. <laughs> In that case, Sam, don't listen to this. Yeah, I'll tell him not to listen to this. He, he needs to be ignorant of that information. Um, I'd say, you know, to start with this answer about my expectations of what I'd be able to accomplish through this, we'd have to start probably when I was like, younger more like 13 14 15 um because i was um 
know, some, some may look at my Instagram page, see my strength and think that I have like really good genetics, you know, because I've squat 300 kilograms and I'm like 21 years old and deadlift mid uh, sevens. If they look at my bench, they wouldn't think I'd have good genes, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was never like any sort of like standout athlete when I was like, you know, during my like younger years or even in high school. Um, I think I just didn't like find a, a passion for sports until like I, I started getting into individual sports like track and field, where once I started doing those, I really started like enjoying it. Um, and I made, I made like a ton of progress, uh, like through track and field. And that's where I started to like realize like, Hey, maybe I actually have some like athletic potential. Um, I'm not sure what, what like I didn't like about team sports. Maybe, maybe it was the fact that. Um, I don't know. I was kind of a nerd growing up. I just didn't like like sports. And when you're a kid, you're like, um, your parents get you into sports, and you might not actually like like it, you know. But they're just like putting you like uh, making you do sports just just to make you do them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I, my outlook on sports was when I was when I was younger. But it wasn't until I was like 16, 17 is when I when I started really like coming into my athleticism, and that's when around when I started powerlifting, and um, that's when I, when I started realizing my, realizing my potential. Uh, but, but with that being said, I, I still didn't expect myself to to like probably even even be where I'm at now. Um, but (laughs) then, um, if, if you were to ask myself four years ago, I wouldn't have expected to be where I am now. But if you had asked me two years ago, I probably would have expected myself to be farther than I am now. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So when I realized the potential that I had, I would have thought that I'd get farther than I am now. Mm Mm-hmm. But, but if you asked me before I realized what I had any sort of idea of what I could become, I wouldn't have thought I'd get like probably anywhere close to where I am right now. Um, and I guess that stems from, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, as life changes have happened, as life has you know gotten more difficult between school and working, um, and as I've progressed as an athlete, uh, and have personally, I've, you know, have this very unpredictable, like fatigue patterns and all the training difficulties I've gone through. Um, it's led to, you know, a big stall in my progress that prior to that, I had, I had no, um, no troubles at all. It was pretty much smooth sailing, like up until like I hit around 500 dots. I, I, you know, uh, I started with, uh, my first meet, I hit like a 1200 total. And within like two years I had, which was like a 400 dots within two years, I had already hit 500 dots. So, um, and there was, you know, pretty much like no stall of progress in between. There's like a, a, there's a few, a few injuries, you know, just the usual, but, um, had pretty much had no difficulties reaching to up, up to a very competitive level. And then, um, you know, the past two years, uh, my, my deadlift stalled at around like 720 for probably like a year and a half. And then, 
uh, bench. I've benched 353 three meets in a row, and um, squat's been kind of smooth sailing. <laughs> but um, and then it wasn't until recently when my training has really picked up, and which is you know made made me really happy. Uh, you know that's that's <laughs> happening. Just just to just to, in simple terms, it just made me really happy because um, and. And that has definitely led to like feelings of burnout at times, mm -hmm. which is kind of the topic that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. How to no, avoid that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm happy that, uh, you're happy about your training. Cause as Aiden alluded to there, there have definitely been some unpredictable fatigue patterns sometimes as a result of not sleeping very well because of school, but at other times just kind of being a result of, of the programming and, you know, something you've probably heard me talk about on this podcast before is like how at times, it, well, I would say at certain times far enough into a lifter's career, the window of things that kind of work most effectively becomes narrower. And then just at certain times within like a training year, for example, it can kind of just happen that that window of things becomes smaller. And, and we were running into a lot of trouble with Aiden where, you know, he'd have like a great week and then a horrible week and then two great weeks and then a really horrible next two weeks. And it was just not following any sort of predictable trend, but, um, we've nailed it now, which has been really nice. Um, you know, last, last, uh, the last block or the block prior, you had pulled 750 for the first time pretty smoothly. It was like three blocks ago. Three blocks ago. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's 716 for a triple and then 738 for a double. Yep. So yeah. 750, 716, 738 for a double. Um, recently, this block squatted 660. Um, deadlift missed missed uh, 760, but you missed also pretty much a, a week's worth of effective training. So that's understandable. Yeah. And now we're back on track with that. Um, but yeah, Aiden Aiden has always been someone where like. Obviously, I, I, I very, very much care about Aiden's training. Uh, you know, I care about him as an athlete and as a person. So when you have like such an investment and you see just like these very volatile swings, it gets you so angry as a coach to not be able to reel it in. But it's made me really happy that we've been able to figure it out as well. Um, like genuinely like a more of so from the coaching side, it's like more of like a joy than it is like a pride. Cause like sometimes you get athletes where, you know, obviously you're happy when they perform well in meets, but there's also like this feeling of like, oh yeah, like, you know, we really nailed it. And like, we have a good understanding of what works and whatever. But when you go through just such a tumultuous period and then on the other side, finally figure it out, it's more so like, oh, like, thank God. Like we've, we've gotten it in a more, uh, in a more joyful, joyful sense. So I'm just really happy about that as well. Um, but yeah, on, on my side of things to like respond to what you're saying, like, I think that for, for myself, when it comes to like how I've viewed strength, viewed training over the years and what expectations I had, I had the same experience as you. And I think that a lot of people will, who are like high level lifters now will echo this where it's like in the beginning, you wouldn't expect to be where you are. And then once you realize your potential, you get very invested. And when things are going well, it continues to feed that investment because you now know what's at stake, what you're capable of, and it pushes you and it's fun and it's exciting. And I think that in order to get to that highest level, eventually that, um, that eagerness to get better kind of turns into this sense of, of obligation. Like you're obligated to like do the work and 
and put the effort in. And I think that for myself, that had been for many years, a very valuable um, temperament to have, just like being very obsessive about this sport and being willing to almost treat it like a job because you knew what was at stake. And I, I don't think that I would be anywhere near where I am as an athlete or as a coach if I didn't have that mindset. Um, but then I would say in like the past year and a half, and maybe maybe this is something that you have reached in some capacity, or maybe it's going to take you know just more time of being in the sport. But I know for myself now, being about ten years into the sport, um, you know, in the past like year and a half, I kind of realized like that mindset has not served me in the same way, um, and I kind of need to still. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'll be honest with myself, like I'm still struggling to get better at this to like find that feeling of like excitement and fun with training again um and undo some of that feeling of of obligation or obsession because when you are like stuck for a prolonged period of time like myself for my squat it is it's exhausting and you know i've never had any sort of you know urge to to quit or anything like that but it does become incredibly exhausting where you know you just you just feel like you're you're you know pouring sugar into water and just watching it dissolve into nothing um so finding the excitement is more so like what is the 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 wave that i'm currently on and i think that when it comes to like these younger guys and burnout it's you know potentially them getting stuck in that that headspace maybe too early um, cause I think it is, I think it is necessary. Like you, you look at any high level lifter and I think that they have the idea that they just need to push through and do what's asked of them and just do what's necessary. But I think that if that feeling comes too soon for people before they even reach that point of stagnation, it's like, I'm already feeling like this is my identity and this is a job while I'm still doing really well. So then when that period of stagnation comes, it's like, I've already been feeling this exhaustion and, and sense of obligation to the sport, even when I like, quote unquote, don't want to do it. And then you come to a period of not making progress. And then it's like game over to you. And you're like, well, why am I even doing this anymore? Yeah. So I, I guess you, the, the core of that then is you just have to like love doing this um, or just have some sort of strong, like reason why you're doing it, whether it's internal, whether it's external, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, people view like, you know, oh, you should always do something because you internally love it. But, you know, sometimes external reasons can, can be just as strong as internal reasons. Anyways, you have to have some sort of reason why you're doing this, have some sort of strong reason why, whether you love it, whether, you, you know, you want something to get out, you know, whether you have some sort of goal that you're trying to get out of doing this, you have to have that and you have to have like a strong, like resolve to do what it takes in order to get there. Um or else you're just not going to see the outcome that you want. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is funny because, you know, people have like smooth sailing with their training and then they meet a little bit of resistance and, and it's the end of the world um, yeah. uh, because they've never experienced something like it. Um, and, you know, they think that they can't reach their goals because of it. Um, and that was reality for me for a long time because uh, like, for example, like uh post post like 2021 nats like i had some pretty that that's when like that's when like the uh <laughs> the fatigued aid and arc started um yeah. where i just started going, undergoing like a rapid change of training where i just get 
fatigued super easily and it was destroying my deadlift and my training. And it, you know, I was in the labyrinth, so to speak, where we just, we, we didn't really know what the hell to do with my training because we'd try something that makes sense and it just wouldn't work. And, and, you know, we, we try, like you could do this on any other athlete and it would have worked, but not me. Um, anyways, uh, for, so for a long time, for a long time, because of this lack of progress and this lack of consistency with training, like I wasn't even able to train normally. It wasn't even that like I wasn't making progress, but I just wasn't able to like move well. I wasn't able to like just train consistently and just lift weights like I like doing. Like I just, uh, it just was hindering my ability to even lift normally. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a long time, I genuinely just thought like, you know, I don't have as much potential as I thought I did. You know, I've reached, I've reached my point. Like I, I'm, I'm just not as good as I thought I was. That's just what I accepted. And I accepted it for a while. I was like, okay, well, you know, I've got coaching, you know, I can lead these group of young men into, you know, to be better than I am, you know, um, or, you know, bring them the joy that powerlifting has brought me. And I, I genuinely just thought that for a while. Uh, that I thought that I just wasn't that my goals that I had set for myself, like, you know, just, I needed to bring them, dial them back. Um, and then, you know, I saw some, we, I think we, we had a good, we had a good run, like coming into like CNATs and then I kind of, uh, um, started losing weight and my sleep went to shit and, um, anyways, but recently we figured things out and I do finally, you know, after all that, we, uh, I, I do believe that I am capable of the goals that I had set for myself, you know, with my young wide-eyed visionary goals that I had, you know, maybe like two years ago, I think that they are, you know, I'm capable of them, but, yeah. um, it's just taken a long time to figure out what is necessary for me to actually get there. Yeah. Um, and like, I, like I've made up pretty much like a year and a half worth of stalling. Like I've made, like I've made, cause I, I went from like, I stalled at like 722 for like, probably like a, like 720 ish on deadlift, like a, over a year. And then I went from like, and then I failed, I failed 690 at the summer meet and yep. then hit 750 with room like three months post that. Yeah. Which is just like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so where I'm kind of going with this, I, th- I think if you're meeting resistance, if you're kind of things are slowing down for you, um, the, and you're starting to, you know, see training as a chore, seeing, seeing it as an obligation, seeing it as something you're like forcing yourself to do at the end of the day, the, the future you will be thanking the you now that went through the, the shit you're going through in order to get to back to where training is like this, very fun, rewarding, euphoric activity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny or, or it's good that you said that. Cause it reminds me of, um, I did a podcast. So, uh, Rob Escalante has a podcast and for some yeah. reason he never released this episode that we filmed. Like, I think he said he didn't like his, his audio or he didn't like some, something on his end just didn't sound right. Um, but the entire focus of the podcast episode was, um, like increasing your stress tolerance and threshold. And it's like, I really feel 
you know, I feel for people who haven't had the environment to, you know, accommodate a higher stress tolerance because when you, you know, it's, it's a shame when you care a lot about something and when confronted with something that is going to test how much you care about it, a lot of people will shy away. And, you know, on, on one side of things, we can, can really just attribute it, you know, unconditionally to the individual. You didn't want it badly enough, blah, blah, blah. But like, we really are the sum of our, you know, experiences and, you know, I'm not going to get into, um, just because I wasn't prepared to talk about it today, but if, I'm not going to get into like religion and the ideas of like facing adversity and what that's meant to, to test for us. But in a more, you know, just commonplace way of talking about things like, you know, that, that sentence that you just said, like future, you will thank current you for, for going through it. Right. Like, I think that a lot of people are not kind of uh, capable of seeing that long-term you know, payout or, or benefit, or maybe they do see it and they just say it's not worth the squeeze right now. And I could be using this time for, for something else, but like, I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful that you've made it through this, right? Like in a more like, you know, in a, just a real, you know, man to man kind of talk. It's like, I'm just, I'm thankful that you made it through this, right? I'm sure it was especially hard having an alternative option in coaching, right? Like for you to feel at, you know, 20 years old, like, Oh, well, I guess I could hang it up. You know, I have coaching. I can, that's like, like that's, that's a, a depressing thing to think. Like it's, you're lucky on one hand that you truly can pay it forward and impact the lives of those you coach. And you continue to do that. You do a fantastic job. Like, you know, everyone that you coach has nothing but, you know, high praise to, to sing about you. But at the same time, it's like, it almost made it easier for you to, you know, give in to your feelings of, you know, falling short and you didn't. Right. And I remember like, you know, cause I started coaching you before 2021 nationals and we had, I think maybe it was three blocks in total before that year's nationals. It was, it was something in that, in that ball. Yeah. And I was on fire. Like that was where amazing. we had, yeah. Where we, yeah, exactly. We had those two blocks of, of fantastic training and then the wheels just fell off at the end of it. So to have an experience like that, you know, early enough in your, in your bull run, so to speak, where you're on top of the world and then it all comes crumbling down. It's, you know, that's a demoralizing, you know, experience to have. But now I think, you know, one, I think you're stronger at the end of this, having gone through a, you know, a, an extended period of feeling this way and now knowing that you've made it to the other side mentally stronger. And then two, I think we have just on um, the logical side of things, a more fundamental understanding of, you know, how to structure your training and, and make things work. And, you know, I think it's a, it's kind of a testament to, you know, your, uh, you know, your resilience, your, I guess, faith in yourself, your faith in, in me as your coach. Um, and like, that's, you know, that's a big piece, right? Like just having the belief in, in the agreement that you sign up for, like, I can imagine having been in a position where you're going through the same thing and the coach that you're working with, maybe you, you know, don't yet, you don't fully understand why you're doing what you're doing or you don't trust what they're doing and, you know, not feeling like you're, you know, there's a, a, a relationship bigger than yourself. That's, that's, you know, um, you know, eventually going to bring you to the other side. It's like, it's going to just feel like you versus me, or it's going to feel like you versus the weights and it's, you're, you'd be losing if that's how you, you know, you looked at it, right? Like you'd be fighting a losing battle right then and there, but 
I think because you you didn't view it that way was a, was a part of, of pushing through. And, you know, for, for anyone listening, like a lot of younger lifters, it's like you, I think a lot of people tend to beat themselves up a ton, especially because when they're going through stuff like this, they make themselves out to be like this one man island, right? Like all my problems are unique. And, you know, I feel this way because, <clears throat> you know, I feel this way in such a severe way. And, you know, I'm supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be this good. I wanted to achieve all these things. And it's a lot harder, I think, to, you know, go through that experience if you, you know, just spend the time beating yourself up and think that you you are like the the one man army, so to speak. Because um, if you're losing, then you have no other resources. Like you can't pull from anywhere because you only have yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is very true. I, I'd like to get into some, some like the, uh, the meat of the podcast here. Um, if you will, uh, just some like takeaways for, um, the listeners in, in terms of what you can do to manage these feelings of burnout and what you need to do if you want to make consistent progress through power thing one, and then two, you know, be able to, like mentally make it through it. Yeah. So we're on the topic of preventing burnout and, you know, keeping consistency through, uh, for, for the younger population of powerlifters, which are, you know, mostly going to, you know, either you're going into college or you're doing some sort of trade. You're, you're doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of work, you know? Um, so first I think most important thing, that has has helped me is you need to make a schedule that is that is like mandatory that is non-negotiable you need to make a schedule and you need to stay to it as as strictly as possible if you're going to excel at you know whatever you're pursuing in life whether it's you know your your career and if you want to excel in in this you know sport and powerlifting so whether it's a calendar, whether it's a checklist, whatever it is, whatever works for you, just, you got to stick to it. Um, second, uh, you have to, it's very easy to, um, get obsessed with powerlifting and, and try to, you know, have it consume you because that's something that you want to excel at. That's something you want to, you know, if you're young and you're, you're driven, you're probably like, Oh, I want to be the, either I want to be the best or I want to be the best I possibly can be. So I need to give everything to this. Well, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And there's only so much you can give to powerlifting before you just like reach like optimal. Um, and, and it's a, it's a sport that, you know, it's very accessible because you can do it while, you know, pursuing, a career having even having a family and um, other obligations in your life. So um, you, you, you just, what I, what I like to say is like, you just hit your checklist of things that you need to do, you know, just, you know, train well, get, get the sleep that you need to you know, hit your macros or your, your caloric intake, your protein intake, just hit your checklist of things that you need to do. And then, and then be done with it. Don't, you know, give more to it than it needs to, or else it's going to take away from other aspects of your life. And then you'll, 
become, you know, your stress levels will increase. And it's kind of like a, like a feedback loop that will impact your training. Um, next, I'd say something that has definitely helped me like get through periods of time where, um, you know, training has been less exciting, less enjoyable. It's becoming less of a like hobby thing and more of a obligation, um, is like having other things in your life, you know, like it it can be simple as just as like, you know, something I do recently, I watch movies. (laughs) Um, I've become a amateur movie critique, a critic, uh, but, um, no, it's just, you just have to have something else in your life that is, as a form of entertainment or stress relief other than powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can't, it can't be the the one thing you have or else that that's like, that's a good one way ticket to burning yourself out is doing that. So I don't know whether it be, whether it be video games, whether it be like some, you know, other sport that you do like minimally, whether it be like just run it, like running or just anything, just whatever, whatever, you know, you fancy it just, you have to have something else other than this. If you're going to make it to where you want to be, or else you're just going to get sick of this. Yeah. And that could be said for anything. That's not just powerlifting. That's, that's anything that you want to excel at. And these things are kind of applicable for anything you want to excel at. Um, one of my, uh, one of my, one of my favorite movies and, uh, one of Sean's favorite movies is whiplash. Oh yes. Um, and if you've ever watched that, that can, uh, it's a good, um, you know, kind of personification of the pursuit of excellence in something. Um, so if you, if you haven't watched that, go watch it first. But I think that movie does a very good job of, uh, of showing like, the extremes of what can like come from excellence, like the, you know, the very high highs, but the, like, is the amount of like sacrifice you give it, you know, worth the like fleeting euphoric moment that it will, it will give you and feeling satisfaction and whatever success, long-term success that it gives you. So, you know, I'd watch, I'd, you know, add that to the list, go watch Whiplash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this, so this is something that I've always, cause like at one point I wanted to pursue acting and the reason for it is that, I've seen so many like really impactful movies that have just changed the way that I either think about th- think about life or it just reminds me of a certain like human condition that I've experienced in a period of my life and it reminds me of you know how to more uh, you know equip myself you know emotionally or psychologically to deal with that thing or you know kind of reminds me of whatever biases I have and like I think there are a lot of movies that are worth people watching to get that perspective. Like don't go and watch like Marvel movies and expect to learn anything. But like a lot of the movies that you post about, you know, on your stories, like you and I have spoken about, although the fact that you don't like no country for old men is a crime, uh, but we won't get into that. That's all right. But (laughs) I hate you. Uh, But yeah. So um, it's so bad too, because, you know, with Whiplash, just for anybody who's who's seen it, it's one of my favorite movies, and it's so it's so tense. Like, especially, I'm not going to spoil it, but the ending is just you're you're on the edge of your seat. Um, but what's so bad about Whiplash is like, and it, and it kind of reminds me of my of my bi- of my biases. Like I said, I made it through Whiplash and felt the entire time like this was this was a positive movie. I was like, it was a hundred percent worth it. Like. 
I was like, this man, this man did everything he set out to do. And I had like this positive, you know, we're, feeling. We're, we're the people that want to die at the age of 30, you know, addicted exactly. to alcohol and have a drug addiction and don't want to like live to 70 with a family and no one remembers their name. <laughs> exactly. Like that's, and that's, you know, that's a, a bias of mine that I've, I've definitely shifted entirely. Like, you know, having a family is probably the most important thing to me. Um, yeah. You know, at this point in my life, but my just bias growing up was like to be that very sacrificial obsessed person. And I made it through the whole movie every time watching it. I'm just like, this was amazing. Like he, he, it, everything that he did was worth it. But then you talk to certain people who didn't have the same upbringing or internal biases. It almost shocks you. Yeah. Or you read reviews of it and they're like, look at the look on his dad's face. It was pure horror. Or look at how, you know, the um, Fletcher did, did nothing for this kid, but he still seeks his approval. And like, that's, you know, all, you know, all he was, he gave everything up in order to get that at the, you know, at the end of the movie. And like, that's just a horrible representation. And like, that's not how I viewed it the first time watching it through. Right. So like being able to see that from the other side, you're like, okay, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. Like a movie that I think more on the nose uh, portrays that perspective is, have you seen the black swan? Mm -hmm. That movie is like, I I don't think anybody could perceive any of that movie as being a a positive experience for, for Natalie Portman. Um, But that's like one that's just like, I I watched a movie recently. It's called uh, just like real quick, perfect blue, which is actually like, it it was a, a Japanese animated film, not like an anime. It's just like, it's in the style. It's just animated it's not really in the style of an anime um and like black swan like kind of just straight up ripped that film oh really yeah and uh darren aronofsky is that his the director's name i think so black swan um he like he like actually like had to like purchase the rights to perfect blue but then in interviews denied that it was inspiration (laughs) yeah so uh, and Perfect Blue is definitely a better film. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then I'd say Whiplash is possibly it's in my top three movies. But uh, I digress. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's in my I'd say it's in my top five for sure. Um, but yeah, that's like the 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 advice that you gave of of having a checklist, like just just like hitting your checklist is is so big because of course there are going to be times where like your kind of involuntary levels of motivation will dwindle and you just have to like power through it and command more out of yourself from your reserves, so to speak. But for the vast majority of what you're doing, it is, it is just, you know, fulfilling that checklist. And the first step to fulfilling the checklist is knowing what your checklist is. Right. So I think one thing that leads a lot of people to the feeling of being overwhelmed or burnt out or whatever is like, they don't, know what they need to be doing properly. So you're just like throwing everything at it in a very indiscriminate way. And then it just feels like you're just draining yourself and you don't even know what you're, you're allocating that stress to. Um, but for the vast majority of your, of your training career or training year, you know, it's, it's going to be just making sure that you do all of those things. Right. And I had a, I had a video on YouTube that I put out, I think it was after nationals where I was talking about just like, 
you have a certain amount of, you know, like water, right? And you just like have all these different buckets in your life of finite volume. And like powerlifting has a finite volume. Like there's only so much you can put into it. And I think a lot of people, myself included at one point, would just try to overflow that bucket as if putting more into it was going to increase the size of the bucket. And it just, it just, it doesn't, right? Like you can only give so much. And if you're taking away from other things, it becomes a feedback loop where, you know, the quality of, of work that you're able to do with the thing that you care about, ironically, takes, takes a hit. Um, to your schedule point, I mean, that's something that I was horrible about. Like I'm a very like type B person, which like we, we come up with these innocuous names like type B. I mean, it's just, it's just disorganized, right? Like there's nothing. I wouldn't even consider myself like type A. I think I've just, I'm a type B that's forced myself to be type A out of necessity. Yeah. And that's something that I more recently have gotten better at. It's something that I absolutely wish at your age I was, I was better at because I probably would have spared myself a lot of stress or, you know, stress over being, you know, inefficient with certain things or having to, um, you know, like get a lot done in a shorter window of time or whatever. Like I've just always been a very disorganized person and kind of all over the place, which is funny because most people that I meet or talk to, you know, they hear how I speak or what I've done. They're like, you must be so on top of your stuff or you must be so organized. And I'm like, I wish I could tell you that's the case, but it's just not true. Um, well, yeah, like I, I've gotten better in many organizational areas where I look back and think of experiences that I like grappled with. And I'm like, I could have, I could have saved myself so much trouble had I just been, you know, more regimented in the way that you are. Yeah. From how I organize my like life and, and schedule down to like, you know, the, the hour, um, you know, you think I'm a very organized person. Um, outside of what you can see in the camera, you know, maybe the rest of my room is very disorganized and messy. <laughs> um, but um, something, uh, I was going to actually use that, like that bucket analogy, but I was like, you know, now that I've kind of like brought up the topic, I bet Sean's going to say it um, because that's the first time that I heard it was when you said it. Um, I'm not sure. I think you maybe said it on a podcast or something, maybe in your story. Yeah. Um, so something that is very helpful and it's probably possibly, you know, more helpful than one would think um, in, in just making it seem like training is not eating up as much of your time as uh, as it is. Um, and, um, you know, just, um, yeah, just, just, just giving yourself more time, being um, efficient with your time is, so this is a message for both coaches and athletes, um, is to build your microcycle around your like your busiest and your, your least busy days and uh, making sure that like, you know, your, your shortest or like least stressful sessions are on your like most stressful days and your most stressful sessions are on your least stressful days. If at all possible, optimize your training schedule around your, uh, your life schedule. Yeah. And this, this is mostly most, you know, jobs will have consistent schedules. So this is mostly for like college students and coaches who uh, coach college students. Um, but, you know, ask them for their schedule and ask them like, hey, which are the most stressful classes? What what days do you do like the bulk of your homework on? Um, what days do you work on? And then, you know, taking all that information and then building a microcycle around that. Well, one, um, you know, lead to more consistent performances 
because, you know, you're consistently, you know, performing high in the days that you're low stressed um, and you're consistently, you know, just getting your secondaries in and, or your, maybe you have like, maybe you don't even have like, maybe like a back day or like an arm day and you're getting that in on your high stressful day. Um, and so that'll lead to consistency, but it also, it'll also do a very good job of preventing burnout because on the days that, um, it, it'll lead to the, the, the athlete having more free time. It'll, um, and being able to have a more efficient use of their time. Um, so it'll, it'll feel like training is just not eating away at, at the, the little time that that person may have. So yep. they, they can do other things with their life as well. Yeah. And there's that mental restoration part of it too. It's like, you know, obviously we have a cumulative effect of stress where like, if it compounds, it could start to weigh on us. And if we have things that are weighing on us, it's not that our brain just resets day to day, but like by virtue of sleeping, we do have this restorative process that's recurring every 24 hours, right? Every time that we wake. So if you do have your training days on the less stressful, um, or you have your more stressful training days on your less stressful, um, work days, it's like, you just, you have more, more to give to those Mm -hmm. days. And mentally you feel like you have more to give on those days. Even if there is cumulative stress preceding that day of the week, it's that, you, you feel refreshed from the moment you wake up in a greater degree than you would on one of those more stressful days where now, like, even if you are, you know, week after week kind of beat up from the, the weeks of the week of work from at least the psychological side of things, you feel like you're in better shape. And that in turn just accumulates win after win. Whereas if the schedule were flipped, it's like, you know, could you be, you know, like overall as recovered? Like maybe, but if psychologically you're just shot, you know, you're going to feel like you're not able to put your best foot forward and the expectation is lower coming into that day. And then when you have your lower stress days on a, you know, training days on a day where you don't have much going on, you know, it's, you know, your, 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 your net sum for the week might just be lower, you know, than, than what you're suggesting. And that, and, you know, you, you gave the, the advice to the coach's side, I mean, to the athlete side, like, be as transparent with that stuff as you can. Like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like communicate all this to your coach. So they have the, the necessary information to build what they, uh, what they need for to build for you. There's, there's an experience I have with certain athletes and it's not that I, you know, I don't, I don't harbor any sort of negative feelings toward them, but it's so frustrating when you have these athletes and I'm sure you've experienced it where like they don't share that kind of information because they almost view like the way that their training ends up like the, the result of their training as if they just have like this, this store of like talent. And that's just what gets used up on their training where it's like, Oh, well, if I, if I sucked this week or if I didn't make progress, it's cause like I suck. And it's like, yeah, I didn't know your schedule. You did your days on different days of the week than were prescribed. It's like, all of these like scheduling things and environmental factors and like all of these habits play such a big role on your training. And so many people just attribute it to like themselves as a person in this like very weird, like self-worth way where it's like, I didn't perform cause I'm, I just, I don't know why I can't get it together. Or, you know, like you'll, athletes will be like that where they feel like overly disappointed in them, in themselves when they like they're competing and they don't show up strength wise. And it's like, you know, maybe there's a mental aspect to it, but like a lot of times it's like, okay, if I dialed everything in and I still didn't show up strength wise, it's like, that's, 
that's something that falls on the coach a lot of the times, for example. So, you know, a lot of people tend to attribute so much to like their identity or what they're just like in a weird way inherently capable of that they don't feel that it's necessary to share a lot of what's going on that could, that very well contributes to training. And then I'd probably say it's the coach's job to manage those feelings and educate their, you know, their athlete on what is actually going on. And then, you know, (laughs) ways they can help the athlete communicate better instead of, you know, one thing, one thing that's very helpful to communicate to your athletes is, Hey, like, instead of sending me uh, your, your training and saying like today was shit period, angry emoji, like, <laughs> like describe the factors that were going on, describe your recovery factors and, and, you know, what felt like shit? Was it your technique? Was it your strength? Like, how'd you feel coming in today? Like provide a description. And this is, this is also a lesson to athletes as well. Whoever's listening to us, like, do this with your coach, like pro- give them more information, give them objective information instead of, you know, just saying you feel like shit. And then that can also like, you know, it's going to improve your relationship with your coach as well, because they're going to see you like, Oh, okay. This athlete's doing a great job of providing me valuable information. And we're not just having negative feedback back and forth. Yeah, no, it's, it's like provide the information rather than your, you know, um, your internalization or feelings about the information. Like yes. there's a big, like you said, there's a big difference between saying, Hey, I got to the gym. Um, you know, my body felt really like weak and achy coming into the session. I put the bar on my back. It felt really heavy. The movement pattern felt off. That is an objective description of everything you felt in real time, rather than how you internalize all of those things at the end, which is I'm garbage or I'm, you know, moving terrible. You know, I'm, I'm not good. Or today was terrible. Today sucked. I'm weak, whatever. It's like, I can't do anything with that. Right. Yeah. And then we're going to have to ask you after you say something like that okay, can you give me all this information that, you know, Aiden just said to relay to your coach? So, yeah. Um, and like, I think, uh, one that'll help you like build a better relationship with your coach, because then you'll actually like be providing them useful information. Um, but uh, I'm blanking here. <laughs> no, you're good, man. We'll uh, we'll we'll edit that there. So you you were saying that one. Yeah, piece- there, there there was something I was saying. Like there's uh, there was a thought, and then it like disappeared. So you're just talking about relaying the information that you feel rather than the internalization of it. And I had mentioned, you know, you said something that was good for athletes to tell their coach um, I don't remember I mean it's fine you have plenty of time to think of it you know this would just be <laughs> okay yeah I feel like this was uh, like where you started speaking is a very easily just snippable part and then we can just pick back up where you left off so whatever thought you pick up with just introduce it as if it was just organically the first time you're talking about it yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember what I wanted to say. <clears throat> there's a specific, like, there's a specific example I wanted to use, but it com- is completely, like, with one of my athletes, but, it, like, I know which athlete it is, and I'm literally, like, God, I fucking hate when this happens. 
It's all good, man. So go down your roster list. Yeah, go down my roster list and be like, who was this that I was thinking about? Um, gosh, that's completely vanished from my memory. Give me a refresher. What we were like? Just what? What? What was like? Not what you were just talking about, but what were you talking about just a little bit before what you were just talking about? So the topic that we were discussing was <clears throat> scheduling around your athletes, like more stressful days based on school or work or whatever, and how you can have more, you know, energy for your bigger sessions. If you do it on the days that you have less going on, you'll have more free time. You'll perceive training to have been, you know, less of your time being used up. Talked about how your feedback can actually be more useful and not to just inherently think that, you know, you're capable of something or not and how you want to relay information to your coach that is, you know, actually useful, like saying what you're actually feeling in a more objective way rather than just, you know, saying that you suck or today was awful or what have you. Oh, yes, I remember. All right. I remember, I remember what I was going right. to say. Ready? We'll start at three. No, 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 no. Wait, let me give me one moment to like think of how I want to say okay. it. Okay, okay, okay. When okay, you're ready. Come back to me. This is wonderful. All right. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. All right, so are we ready? Yep, all good. Okay. Okay, so and then and then when you provide that information to your coach, you know, that that information about um, you know, how your how your day went and how you're, you know, what you're describing what bad day you had or like what bad feelings, you know, whether it was technique or whatever. Um, then at that point, your coach can, you know, decide like, Hey, like, is it, you, you're actually providing them information that can lead to better training where, you know, if you just say you feel poor, that can lead to nothing productive Where then if you provide that description, your your it is then your coach's job to either like not minimize your feelings, but make you feel better about like the day or like educate you or help you understand like why this day went poorly, but if you had bad sleep, if your technique was off, whatever it is. Um, or they can, you know, then proceed to an intervention that can change your training, the outcome of your training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing that a lot, and I think I've spoken about this either on this podcast or just in different ones, but the thing that a lot of people don't realize, like, of course you want to be supported by your coach and praised by your coach, right? Because you have to have this feeling of being, you know, supported and that they want it as bad as you. And you have to, you, know, you want to buy into someone who feels like they're on the ship with you. But I think the thing a lot of people don't realize is that like a coach does his best work or is given the opportunity to do his best work when things like aren't going as well. Right. Like when you're struggling a lot, when people are struggling, a lot of the times they don't want to share that information. Like they withhold it out of shame or they just don't get as excited to film their training because things are going poorly. And as a result, they stop communicating with their coach. When in reality, like if things are going fantastically, your coach doesn't even really need to be there. You know, it's like you don't need the the pat on the back. You know, you might emotionally, but for the sake of your training to continue to propel forward, it's like if you're on a roll, you just keep doing what you're doing, right? Whereas the times where a coach is taking most action and making the changes that can create, you know, a shift to, toward more meaningful training and progress 
are when you provide the information when things are not going as well. And I think so many people have that, that backwards because, you know, in all reality, like during that raw nationals prep where I was just having the best training of my life across the board, like I could have posted all my training to Instagram and Steve could just watch it and I would never need to send him a single text. Like it, it, it doesn't provide me any value to do that. It's like, oh, you're doing well, we'll keep doing what we're doing. Whereas, you know, and I've been guilty of this. And if Steve listens to this, he knows I'm guilty of it. Like I'll go through periods of time where bench, for example, is just like unremarkable. And since, you know, unlike my squat where I don't have as much of like an emotional attachment to it, where Steve has heard plenty from me, Hey, like my squat is not going well, you know, I've never, I never shy away from being vocal about that, but with having less attachment to like my bench press, for example, I'll go through periods of it just being so mediocre and I'll just be a bad client. And like, I won't film it because I'm like, oh, this isn't noteworthy or, you know, this isn't like worth, you know, taking the time to explain. And then it's like, we make it two blocks down the road and I'm like, oh, Steve, like my bench is kind of, you know, taking a crap and he'll be like, well, you haven't shown me anything. I don't know how you're moving. I don't know this. I don't know that. And like, we realized something pretty recently where I actually film my bench and he's like, you're literally just being lazier with your setup. He's like, your arch is big. Your arch is smaller. Your range of motion is bigger because you're just not trying as hard. And then I was like, Oh, okay, let me try harder. And then like it started to look normal again. And it's like stuff like that. You know, you just, Wonderful. you wouldn't know unless you, unless you communicate it. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think when training goes poorly, sometimes the, the first person that an athlete blames is their coach. Like just well, for, let's say the training is just, just going poorly for no reason. It just, you know, it starts to just slow down or stall or regress or even, you know, your technique gets weird. Um, the first person they blame is their coach. But the thing is like, like all everyone listening, all athletes, all coaches just have to understand this. Like, you know, bad training is just gonna be something that happens no matter what you just gotta accept that um and and this is but this is where you find out you know what you're paying a coach for um so that's why it, it's very necessary to send you know continue to send your training keep communicating with the training uh your training to your coach um so you can see you know like what what are you paying for like what is the coach going how is the coach going to respond to this so that we can get back on you know track to good yeah 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 and i've been thankful you know i'm sure you can can resonate with this like you you become so grateful for the lifters who understand that because like it is as hurtful you know when you're invested in the lifter to not see them progress as it is to be the lifter who's not progressing and when you see them willing to just like trust you and stick by you and recognize like hey like you know, I know that this is something that unfortunately happens, but I will let you, like, I will communicate to you everything that I think is noteworthy. And I trust you to do what you're paid to do with that information. And it's like, a lot of people don't have that, that mindset, right? It's like, things are going well. And then when they go poorly, it's like time to jump ship. Um, but being able to make it through to the other side, you know, I, I've had that experience with you. I've had that experience with Steven Singleton. I've had that experience with you know, Matthew Aramony, like lifters that come to mind where I'm just like, you know, they were, there was a headache or a hiccup in training and then you make it past it. It's just so much more rewarding and that builds trust, right? Because like, if your things are, you know, not to say it, you should, I'm not, I'm not like trying to gaslight anybody here. Ideally you want training to always go well, right? Like that's, that's ideal. If your training always goes well, that's better than your training not going well. However, if your training has always gone well 
and then the, you run into you know uh, some sort of you know roadblock for the first time, and your way of dealing with it is to you know just catastrophize it or think that it's all the coach's fault or just not be willing to be cooperative on it. It's like you'll 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 never get to the other side of that. You know, yeah. like you'll either dig yourself into the hole emotionally or you'll, you know, start working with another coach, like whatever it might be. Right. Like you, you know, the relate, just like with any relationship, it's like the relationship, the, the, the investment and the like love in the relationship only gets tested if you actually go through something. This ties back into avoiding burnout, like just staying level headed when this happens. Um, and hopefully you have an intelligent coach who makes an intelligent choice to uh, intelligent you know decision with your training, and um, even that you know that that might not go well. But let's say it does. Um, you have to understand that like somewhere down the line, like the, like even the thing that uh, this intervention, this change in your programming, is probably also going to eventually stop working. And then so you have to make sure you know to not like let that come as a surprise. So then the coach can then work again to get you back on track. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's why it's just so important to pick who you believe is the right coach. You know, it's like yeah. having that, having that, that trust is, is huge. You know, like I remember, you know, I worked with, with Joey flex for you know five years. And I think that one of the, you know, one of the best parts of our relationship was that, that trust Right. And like, you know, you'll see, and I'm not, this is me just speaking objectively. Cause like, you know, you and I can agree with this. It's like some people like overblow, like super compensation or like the taper will take me away. And like a lot of the times you have to bring people to reality sometimes when they're overestimating their abilities and be like, look, like that's, that's not a realistic way to look at things. Like you're, you're the data shows you what you're capable of. Right. But at the same time, like having that feeling of like, I trust that like Joey's taper will take me away. So to speak, it's like there probably were meets that I showed up to where like, maybe I was only as strong as I was in training, but to have the mindset that like on this day, I'm going to be invincible beyond a shadow of a doubt that probably lends itself to better performances where, you know, nowadays, like, you know, Steve will, will, will back me up on this. Like I've definitely mentally, especially on like squat, for example, like dug myself into a hole where like my expectation is like, well, at baseline, like squat will be okay. And, you know, sometimes I'm good, but I'd say most of the time I'm not. And it's like coming into a competition with that mindset a lot of time is, I mean, that's unacceptable, right? Like that's just, you cannot succeed thinking that way. Um, you know, and that's a hole that sometimes I've, I've fallen into where maybe I am as good as my best training day. And that's a good thing. But because I, you know, am like waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, confidence in my, in my ability to execute goes down. Mm, yeah i think uh <laughs> don't have much to add here but uh um, the uh the uh the taper the uh taper's gonna take me away has been replaced by i had that dog in me <laughs> <laughs> or if you're or if you're sam friedrich you just go to the bathroom and pray for 20 minutes after missing your prescribed <laughs> You miss your prescribed triple on the first rep, and then you go pray for it, and then you hit it for the triple. Receive divine intervention. He he did, man. I mean, he did. He that was crazy because I, I actually had him listening to me the day before on squat, 
for those of you listening who have no idea what I'm talking about, Sam had come down to Miami for a weekend and he had the end of his block that he did at Ghost with me. And the day before his heaviest deadlift, he had his heaviest squat. I think he wanted to go for like 585 or somewhere in that ballpark. And I stopped him at 570 or 575. And that was like the perfect call. And he was pissed. Oh, yeah. He was, he was not. Despite happy. it being like a PR at eight. Yep. And the next day, he had his heaviest pull, which was a top triple, I think with 280, 617, or at least that was the weight he wanted. I don't know what Aiden wanted him to take, but that was the weight <laughs> he wanted. And the first attempt at it, he missed the first rep on grip and then just missed it outright on the second rep. And then he just disappeared to the bathroom and prayed and was like, look, Lord, if if you will me to lift this weight, then that is just a celebration of the gifts that you've given me. And <laughs> if this is not for me, then I won't have it. But regardless, it's for you. And he comes back and hits all three reps with no grip problem. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, man. Neither could I. It was amazing. It was fun to watch. He's a fun lifter. <laughs> man, it'd be fun to lift with him. Yeah, people always ask like that question, like three people you'd like want to lift with. Sam might be one of them. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a good question. Three people you'd want to lift with. Do you have your other two or no? Like, probably you. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's like... I feel like I'm boring to lift with because when I'm in the zone, I move very quickly and I don't like talking. Like, I'll have my headphones in and I will load... Like I'll work up to my top set in 15 minutes time. You know, I'm just like, I'm very quick to myself. Um, I've really enjoyed the times where I've lifted with Ashton. Um, you know, I've trained with Ashton in uh, Virginia at the shop at Tyson's. Um, Ashton moves very, fairly quickly. And then just like watching how ridiculously strong he is. It's like, I don't know how you're human. Um, yeah, or he just takes like three warmups to 800. He used to not do that. Like I have a video on YouTube with Ashton where he takes the pound plate jumps on kilos. Like I think he was warming up to like a low sevens deadlift and he went red, red, yellow, two reds, green, three reds, white, four reds, you know, so on and so forth. Like he was back then. He takes red, yellow. (laughs) I, I actually used to do that. I used to, cause I trained primarily for like, for most of my powerlifting career on pound plates, um, especially when I was in college, because I would just train at my rec center. So for me to have the reference in my head of like on meet day of like, oh, this is how 225 always moves. This is how 495 always moves. Like I would just take pound plate jumps and that felt better because I had more data. You know, I knew I knew speed wise how I was moving. Whereas if I took completely different warm ups and just went by reds, I'd have no idea. I see. That's yeah. funny. I don't even know. I don't even know how 225 normally moves. That's just like, that's, well, if I get five hours of sleep, 225 feels like about 700. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I hate when I open your sheet and I see like one by one competition deadlift and it's like 375. <laughs> literally, literally, that was, yeah, I had a week of training. So like, training has been very smooth. I just had um, a very, uh, very stressful week. A mix of stressful and a week of mix of um, just being a jackass and not like falling asleep on time. And uh, the, the the level of fatigue I was feeling was was absurd. I could not unrack four forty one on squat. 
and I could not break 375 off the ground on deads. Like, and I just Aiden, genuinely, my body was incapable. And Aiden tried to gaslight me and tell me that he was sleeping perfectly fine. So, <laughs> he, yeah, so take all my advice that you've been listening to for the past hour and a half with a grain of salt. He says, not as he does. <laughs> he was going through that terrible week, and I had cited how he wasn't sleeping and mentioned, like, one specific night where the week before um, he had been training at, like, 2 in the morning, which meant that he hadn't yet slept and probably wasn't going to sleep for a while. And he's like, oh, no, it was just one day. And then we make it through the terrible week of training. He's back to normal sleep. Things pick up. And then he's like, yeah, like I didn't sleep that whole week. And I'm like, dude, like that's what I was saying. And you tried to tell me you were fine. So, but I mean, it go like we're both hypocrites here. Like I just, I gave you guys the same advice Aiden was giving. And then I've admitted to being poor on that front with Steve in certain aspects. So, you know, we can, we are all, we are all sinners and uh, we're, we can always be better at what we do. So yeah, I think. Unless you have anything to add, Aiden, I think that's a, a good place to end it. No, I don't. I think I think I've uh, said what I've said. About, what I can say about this. Beautiful. All right. Well, I've really enjoyed this one. I hope a lot of the younger lifters listen to this one because there's a lot of takeaways that I think either I wish that I had had these conversations at one point, um, just for the perspective of them, or you might be going. You know, you might be going through something like this, and it might like characterize what you're feeling because a lot of the times when we're going through things, we experience and experience them in our heads in a very overwhelming or kind of amorphous way where we just, we can't like organize our thoughts and that's what makes them more stressful. So hopefully this pr- provides clarity to some of you guys listening, but and at any rate, Aiden, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I'm sure you're going to get back to programming now. I'm going to do the same. Um, also do a little bit of editing for powerlifting now next month is coming out. You guys are listening to this. You'll probably be um, already in the month of March. Um, if you're a subscriber, you're amazing. If you're not yet a subscriber, you're not amazing. No, but in all seriousness, thank you guys so much for listening. This was episode 17 of the High Bar Podcast. And we're looking forward looking forward to seeing you on the next one where we will likely have a, a very, very famous guest, one that um, both Ada and I have been looking forward to having on here. So Stay tuned for that. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one, and we'll see you in the next one. Take care.